Good morning. This morning is a parable that Jesus gave. It's a very interesting one, so please listen carefully. In Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, maltreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I am sure that that well-read parable from Matthew has you thinking and wondering. You're going to have to hold on to those thoughts because now we're going to shift to Philippians and Paul's letter to Philippians chapter 4. Hear these words from God's Word. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind as the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women. For they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you also. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Lord, Holy Lord, 
be present with us. That through these human words, Your Holy Word might be heard. Might be heard and might be followed. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Two friends, Paul and Jim, no longer lived in the same place. But Paul's business took him to the city where Jim lived, and so they got together, going out for a drink and a chance to catch up on all that had happened since they last saw each other. As they left, they started walking to their car when suddenly someone jumped, a man jumped out of the darkness and demanded that they turn over all their money. They both stopped, pulled out their wallets compliantly, pulled out their money, and started to hand it over. But before he handed his over, Paul turned to Jim and said, Jim, here's the $20 I've always owed you, and gave it to him. What a guy. Friends can sometimes disappoint us. What parent has not had to comfort their children because someone whom they thought was a BFF, that is a best friend forever, turns out to be not only not a best friend, but not even a friend any longer. Changing peer dynamics, changing grades, whatever the reason. And of course, it's not only children and youth who get hurt by their friends. And few breaches of friendship are really laughing matters. Do you think Euodia and Santaiki ever called themselves BFFs, best friends forever? They're the two women in the Philippi church that Paul makes reference to here at the beginning of the passage we just read or just heard. And when you read this passage or hear it, you can't help but be reminded that we are listening to someone else's personal mail. Paul and the Philippians knew the nature of the argument that these two women were having, but we don't. They knew who Yodia and Syntyche and Clement were. We do not. In verse 3, Paul refers to what's translated as a loyal companion. But the underlying Greek word could also be a proper noun, and we're not even sure there if Paul is referring to someone by name or simply by category. But there are some things that we definitely do know in this passage, things that Paul makes quite clear. This passage offers one of the clearest indications of the leadership role that women had in the early church. Sometime later, in the late first century of the church's life, the church would conform more to the surrounding culture, and women would be pushed outside of leadership roles where they would remain for the most of two millennia. But this wasn't the case at the beginning. In Acts 16, we learn that the church in Philippi began when Paul went to a place of prayer and, quote, spoke to the women who had come together. And in this passage, there's no suggestion that these women, who Paul calls co-workers, are in some kind of lesser leadership role because they are women. I mean, no, Paul doesn't command anything, doesn't tell them to stop it or anything. He urges them, as peers, as equals, to stop the argument and, and urges others to help them. This we also know. This was no petty argument that they're having. Since they are leaders in the congregation, Paul fears the consequences if their dispute remains unresolved. And so he appeals to the rest of the congregation to help them resolve it, whatever it is that's bothering them. 
Indeed, in this passage and throughout the letter to the Philippians, Paul frequently uses Greek words and prefixes for fellowship, with, together. Paul uses these terms because he wants the Philippians to recognize that their congregation, like the church at large, is meant to be a community of friends. A community of friends. This is who we are meant to be. But the biblical understanding of friendship is different from popular conceptions of friendship. To be sure, there's a lot of overlap and similarity then and now, but there's one major difference. For the Greeks and Romans of Paul's day, just as with most people today, friendship is primarily a matter of shared interests, shared passions and points of view. We tend to make our friends with those who like the things that we like to do, who think the way we think. And those indeed are good relationships. It's good to have people like that in our lives. But that's not what characterizes friendships in Christ's community. The church is a community of friends who might not have the same interests or points of view. Perhaps they only share one thing, but it's enough. Jesus Christ. Instead of being linked by what and whom we choose, we are linked because Christ has chosen all of us. And this community of friends is the most essential community in our lives in addition to our immediate family because that's the way God has made us. God never calls anyone to follow a Christ on their own. We're always called to be part of a community, a community of friends. A community of friends united by Jesus Christ. In verse 3, Paul talks about Euodia and Syntyche as women who have struggled beside me in the work of the Gospel together with Clement. They worked alongside Paul in a common mission in difficult circumstances where they faced resistance and persecution. We are fortunate to live in a society that poses little or no legal restriction on our Christian faith. But there's much in the culture around us in our consumer and permissive culture that is corrosive for our life in Christ. There's so many competing ways to spend our time or our money, so many competing definitions of what the good life is, that we all need a community of friends united by Jesus Christ to help to us to follow His way rather than the other ways that our culture suggests. To rely on His truth rather than the truths that others proclaim so that we can experience the abundant life that Jesus came to offer to us. Parents in the faith need the help of the Christian community to share the gospel with their children and to have people that will model that faith and be mentors to their children and peers to their children. But it's not just parents and children who need that supportive community linked by a common mission in Jesus Christ. We all need that example, that support, that reinforcement of what our faith looks like, what our faith does, whether we're 8 or 18 or 48 or 88. So that we can be faithful Christians, not just at home, not just here, but at school, at work, wherever we find ourselves. As Gregory Jones, a former seminary dean, has written, friendships in the church, I love this, challenge the sins we have come to love, 
Affirm the gifts that we are afraid to claim and help us dream dreams that we otherwise would not dream. This is what he means. Like Euodia and Syntyche, we need friends who gently and lovingly, but truthfully, share concerns that they may have for us. As, for example, when our zeal to do our job well leads to a kind of workaholicism that impacts our health and impacts the people around us. A friend in Christ will help us to see our lives through another lens, to see what we might be missing. On the positive side, our lives can be transformed when others point out to us gifts they see in us that we maybe have not seen yet. Or our lives can be transformed when these holy friends help us to find new hope and strength so that we can be lifted out of the rut we find ourselves in and see a future that we've been unable yet to see or envision on our own. But it's not just support that the church offers. The language that Paul uses to describe working alongside these women and Clement in the church in Philippi is the same kind of language that might be used to refer to a sports team engaged in competition or a band of soldiers fighting side by side against an enemy or a medical team in an emergency room working together in a race against time to save someone's life. You know, deep down, we do not mind giving up our time, our energy, or our money if it means working with a team for a special cause. Indeed, when you talk to or hear interview, athletes interviewed after they retire, what they miss most is the time with teammates, the time of working together for that common cause. As grateful as soldiers are to return home and get out of a war battle scene, what they will talk about, what they will miss, is that band of brothers who work fighting and living and supporting each other together. In Christ, we are given the greatest mission and causes of all. That is why youth work camps and Honduras water installations and disaster relief mission trips are so fulfilling. That's why people gather to teach yet again in a Sunday school class of young children. Because we're not just hanging out with other Christians as, as good as that can be. We're also on a mission together, doing His work and making the lives of others at least a little better along the way. The church is a community of friends linked by more than our common interests and opinions. We don't come here, we don't come to a gathering of Jesus' family expecting to find people who all think and vote like we do, or share our hobbies and passions, or have the same temperaments that we do. No, we come here to meet Jesus and to learn to love others as Christ loves us. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, the church will never be an ideal community according to some vision that we're carrying around in our heads of what the ideal church looks like. Every congregation is always a real community made up of real people. Believe it or not, there are imperfect people here making mistakes and saying things they shouldn't say. 
believe it or not, there are people here who have foibles and quirks that sometimes are going to irritate us just as we have them. But how else are we going to learn to forgive unless we've been wronged? How else are we going to experience grace unless we experience grace of others learning to live with our quirks and foibles? How are we going to learn to love others as Christ loves us if we do not spend time around people who may be almost as hard to love as we are? And that leads us to a word that Paul uses here that is one of the most important virtues or qualities for living and working together with imperfect people. The Greek word Paul uses in verse 5 is epiikes. And it can be translated in a number of ways. It can mean gentleness. That was the one that was used in the NRSV. That's relating to others without harshness or coercion. It's the way that Paul is relating to Syntyche and Euodia. Or the word can mean forbearance, which means accepting others and all their differences and shortcomings and being prepared to forgive them. It can also mean kindness, which means showing concern and mercy toward others. Someone has said that a friend, that everyone hears us, friends listen to us, and best friends hear what we haven't said. The word can also mean patience. That is, giving others time and refusing to force change or premature resolution. Again, as Paul shows here, this is how we are to treat others with gentleness, forbearance, kindness, and patience. Maybe sometimes we need to write them on our hands so we won't forget. And without the impatience or arrogance or envy that saps community. We're to have the same mind as Jesus and treat others as Jesus Christ has treated us. Of course, we will not always do that. But that's okay too. Because in a community of friends, we should experience enough grace to cover our sins. And there's one final thing to be said about this community of friends, one that distinguishes it from other communities and circles of friends at times. We go the distance with each other here. That's why Paul cannot wipe his hands clean and forget about Euodia and Syntyche. And that's why he enlists the whole congregation to help them with whatever the dispute is they are having. A colleague recently shared a story about a much-beloved chaplain named Bill Arthur. He was a man who apparently exemplified the forbearance that Paul is describing here in Philippians 4. And he needed at one point in his life in a relationship with another friend. You see, this other man, no matter how close the friendship seemed to be, was always one to quickly run away. One thing would be said or not said, resentments would fester, and this man would move on, either feeling mad about what someone else did or guilty about what he did. And one day, this friend did something that made Bill mad, but Bill wouldn't let it in there. Instead, Bill told him, you're not walking away from me. And I might be really angry, angry with you right now, but I'm sticking around. And so are you. And so they did for 30 years of friendship. As someone once said, there are many people who have heard our best stories, but our best 
friends are those who have lived them with us. This is what it really means to be a true BFF, to be a community of friends for each other. We are willing to live with each other through our stories, the fun and joyful ones and the difficult and sad ones. In Stations of the Heart, Duke preaching professor Richard Lisher writes of his son Adam's heroic and faithful struggle with brain cancer when Adam was a young adult, not long married, and a new parent. Near the end for his son, Lisher writes of going to lunch with a friend of faith. He writes, I could be comfortable with Maurice, not only because he was an old friend, he writes, but because when Adam was diagnosed, he promised me, I will go with you in this as far as I am able. Friends, may we always find here people who will go with us as far as they are able. And may we never forget that there is one who will always go with us to the end of the age, all the way to the end. Always. Amen. Friends, let us stand and affirm our faith with words that also come from Philippians in chapter 2. Please join me in the affirmation of faith that you will find in the bulletin. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess to the glory of God, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.